0: Well, good morning. We'll see if you feel that way afterwards. All right hey we're going to have an incredible day in God's presence. If you' got a Bible, why don't you go to John chapter eight? Uh, you can follow along on our uh, uh, on the Bible app. You can find uh all of our notes there uh, to the message as well now. Uh, I, I've just recently started a series called "Living the Dream," and and listen, don't let the uh, don't let the title uh, you know fool you. I'm not trying to sell books. Uh, I'm not trying to get you to uh, all, all I can think of is another book title. I'm not trying to get you to live your best life now. I, I actually want you to live God's dream for your life, and what and I, I believe that God has a personal dream, but how do we even know? That God has a desire for our church. You know, one of the great things about the scriptures is that it tells us that there were people who understood the times that they lived in. They understood the moment that they were in, and they understood what to do. The sons of Issachar, and because of it, they were noble, and because of it, because of it, they flourished, and so. I, I want to share with you that on September the 24th, God gave me three dreams. It was a Sunday morning, and last week I shared the first dream. And if you didn't get a chance to 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 share uh, to listen to that, please go back and listen to it. And there was a, a theme behind it, and that theme was urgency, and uh, connected to what God wants us to do and how urgent the hour is. And that happened on the weekend, of course, that, uh, you know, the... That Israel is at war, and thousands have lost their lives. And so there was an urgency, and it was about first responders and how we should respond to those who are in need and the kinds of ministry that we're to bring to people in this moment, right now in this moment. Well, uh, the, the, the next dream uh, is, is the one that I want to share with you today. And the second dream actually tackles a topic that is, I, I am sure... That every life in here has either wrestled with, or heard about, or, has, has, ha, or knows someone in the middle of this struggle. This dream was much different. The first one had a theme of urgency. This one, the Lord dropped me into an apartment. And there was a young man there. This young man was sitting there, and he's having a conversation with me. He says... Man, I just don't know how to connect with my friend. And he's holding something that looks like a phone. He's holding this. And he's saying, I, I, I just, I don't know how to connect with him. I, I, don't, I don't understand how to communicate with this friend. And I said, well, let me see if I can help. And he, he hands me the device. And I look at the device, and the keyboard is in, like, hieroglyphics. And I'm like, yeah, that's a language I don't understand. (laughs) So my solution for this, uh, uh, teenagers, if you feel like your parents and grandparents don't speak the the same language, we don't. (laughs) We don't. But that doesn't mean we don't have answers for what you're facing. So the answer to me wasn't in the device. I looked at him and I said this. I'm not sure that I can help you connect with your friend. But I do know a place where you will be welcomed. And immediately I'm thinking of volume students and the numbers in the dream 2 weeks ago. I'm thinking of all the places, all the people. And and immediately when I say that to this young man and hope fills his eyes, I turn and look and I see his two moms. And they're living in a lesbian lifestyle. And I see what they're burdened with. One of these women has been married before, got so frustrated in the relationship, she got divorced. I know all of this in the dream. She gets divorced. This is her son. She's now in a lesbian relationship and they're caring for an aging mom in the house thinking we're going to have to release her, maybe send her away and care for her. And the moment her son gets bright in his heart and spirit, thinking that there is a place where he can connect, they look, both women look at me. They don't say it with their lips. But I hear it from their heart. They say this. I wonder if we would be welcome there. Today, I want to tackle a subject not because it's popular. You know what would have been easy for me to do today? To stand up here and to preach about Israel and Hamas and end times. You know what? That would have been easy. But you know what God wants us to do right now is to get ready for the harvest that's in front of us. Yeah. He wants us to get ready for what is taking place right in front of us. And, and, and listen, church, I, 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 you know this was a dream that came to me. I didn't ask for the subject. Some of you are like, uh-oh, what's he about to say? I saw it in first service. People's brains looked like toasters that had gone like a little too long. I could see the smoke rising at first. Hang on till the end, okay? You know when it comes when it comes to LGBTQIA plus. I, I, it's hard for me to keep up. When it comes to those issues, church, I think God wants to give us a heart adjustment. I think there's something uh, to be said, something to be learned because on the one hand, there's this there's this growing p- kind of public lobby, this public, Policy. These these people, and by the way, many of them not involved in those lifestyles, but using this this issue for political power. And and they're they're pushing ideas. And there's this, and as a the church. You know, we can see this growing influence that's trying maybe to make its way into our books and our schools and and influence our children. And here's the mistake that we can make when it comes to ministering to people in those lifestyles. We can make a tragic mistake, and that is this. We need to understand that public policy and personal ministry need two different mindsets public policy and personal ministry need two different mindsets for people who are who are struggling so by the way please don't don't go to your f- uh, favorite political brand get your talking points and think you're going to help somebody let me give you some clarity on that public policy is the place where ideas are debated about how is the what is the best way to build a society that's basically ministry of the head it's ideas by the way did you know that every society is built on some kind of code everyone and ours in america is built on the word of god our judicial system is built on the word of God. Our entire uh, legal system of representation, is, it comes right out of the passage we're going to share today. The reason why some societies are better is because their code is better. So church, I want to give you this from the very beginning and maybe some of you will get really excited about this part. Uh, when it comes to public policy, you need to show up at a school board meeting. And you need to say, hey, listen, I don't want you teaching my child about sex. I don't want you giving them the wrong idea. I don't want you to intro- introducing them in, in, in these ideas. And we need to take a stand in public debate. But if you carry that same mindset to a person they're never coming to Christ by the way the reason why our country is in the condition it's been is because publicly the church has been silenced you're called to be a light make no mistake Don't buy into the lie that says, oh, no, we're we're to keep the church and the state separate. No, that's not true ever. The church is supposed to be the greatest influence on all areas of our society. Why? Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So we can say, no, some ideas are better for building a society. And, by the way... Uh, if you go to the meeting, if you're quoting chapter and verse, they may, not, they may not have the Bible as an authority in their life. Why don't you give them just some practical reasons why? Some practical reasons why murder is the wrong thing to do. Some practical reasons why not exposing our children at a young age to these ideas is the right thing to do. Now, Public policy is a debate over ideas. It's ministry from the head, but listen to me carefully. You should write this down. Get this in your heart and spirit. As you're being prepared for the harvest, personal ministry is an invitation to a family redeemed by the love of God through Christ. It is ministry to the heart by the spirit. So while we can debate ideas, listen, A debating spirit, an arguing spirit, doesn't win anybody to the Lord. I'll say it to this side. A debating spirit is not a spirit that leads anybody to Jesus. Personal ministry is an invitation into this family. This family of redeemed people. Look at your neighbor, look at him, look at him, and just tell him, you had problems. Some of, wait, I didn't tell you you still have problems. I heard some of you, you you still have problems, okay? No, you went too far, okay. Come on, we all had problems, but sometimes what we do, remember last week, Jesus tells us, cleanse the lepers. There are some topics that we have begun to treat with an Old Testament mentality in a New Testament age. We call people involved in that kind of lifestyle. We just want to say, unclean, stay away. And you know what, church? That's the easy route. But God is not calling us to go the easy route. He's calling us to go into the harvest field. And we're all like, whoa, harvest. I wish he would just call it work. <laughs> Listen, then Jesus comes along and he says, Cleanse the lepers. I actually believe that perhaps our mentality I said, okay, there's a whole group of people who have certain ideologies and certain identities, and we just, it's easier for us to stay away. And I'm here to tell you, Calvary Church, we're going a different way. We're going after the harvest field. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. Whether or not your kids have told you, now it's up to one in five in their schools. One in five are dealing with identity issues, are dealing with sexual issues. And why? Because, because the church as a whole has not been a voice. We haven't been a voice of clarity to our kids, and we haven't, we, we, we've just kind of released that. We said, oh, no, no, we're just going to try to just not make too many waves. No, no, no. I had a dream. In Calvary, we're going to make a difference in lives, listen, that some of the church has given up on. And I want to tell you, this church has people sitting in it now who were once trapped, but now have been set free. It's not a. That's not. That, that's not to to create an ovation for this place, but an ovation to a God who loves people, who redeems people, and brings them into the family of God. We've got to commit to ministry to the heart by the Spirit of God. So let me give you. I'm going to give you four practical steps today. And the reason that I'm framing it in this way is because of the dream. This is how it came to me. And by the way, somebody came to me in first service and said this exact situation with the son and the two women and the divorced and the elderly mom is exactly what's happening with someone at her work. It's the exact situation. So this isn't make-believe. This is the real deal. They came running to me at the end of the first You won't believe. So maybe you're just the overflow. She was the one that got the whole message. I I think these principles will actually work in every area of life, actually regardless of what anyone has been taken captive in. Let me give you this first practical step to live this dream. Here it is. Show consistency. Show consistency. What am I going to say to you? Let me say it to you in another way, the way I would talk to teenagers. Show up. Show up. You know, I think for the longest time, the church has just kind of stopped showing up. We stopped showing up in people's lives. And I love what Jesus does here in John chapter 8. And I'm going to read this passage to you. And we're going to to glean these truths from this passage. Notice what it says here in John chapter 8. We'll start in verse 2. It says, now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst... They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Notice what it says here in John 8, 2 and 3. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. Let me say this to you. The more you show up, the more God can use you. I love this. It says, and Jesus came again to the temple. You know what sometimes we do when we're trying to minister to people? We just try to, you know, if you grew up like me, man, just walk somebody down the Romans Road. We were taught how to evangelize. We're like, man, Romans 3.23. Come on, you know it, right? No, some of you don't. Some... All of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. It's funny, we never quote Romans 3.22 and 24 because 24 says being justified freely. Well, anyways, I won't fix everybody's theology all at once, but here's the very beginning. So I just need to tell somebody, Man, we've all sinned. All right, now I need to tell somebody that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 6 23, right? I'm walking somebody down the Romans road. And then eventually I'm going to get to John 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever placed faith in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you got through your speech. And the people in front of you go, well, I'll think about it. And you know what we do many times as believers? Check. Well, I've done my duty. Check. Well, I, I told them. I told him. No, no, no. I love this. It says, Jesus came again, and he taught. Jesus came again, and he taught. Listen, church, I believe that God is saying, show up. Show consistency. The more you show up in this community and in people's lives, the more God can use you. Look at John 4, 46 and 47. It says, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made water the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. You know what we would have done? We already did a miracle there. We're not going back. We're done. Ha ha! That wedding was hype. They got their sign, they got their ministry. Notice what Jesus did. He came again. He went back to the place of a miracle. He went back to that place of breakthrough. Knowing what? There is going to be someone there in need of ministry. And their son is at the point of death. And they need me to come and show up again. Listen, church. Show up again. Show consistency. Don't throw people away. I love what it says in Mark 11. Look at this. 27 and 28. We don't even I don't even think we like this verse. It says then they came again to Jerusalem and as he as he was walking in the temple the chief priests the scribes and the elders came to him and they said to him by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? I want you to show up so much in this community, people start asking you, What in the world are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here? Who gave you permission to be here? I've gotten that question a few times on campuses. Who gave you permission to be here? Well, I did things the right way, I am a school volunteer. I've been trained. I went through, this, went through all of that. And so I stand in those places showing up. You have no idea what it's like to just consistently show up and what God might do. I remember a time several years ago. A student pastor was leading an FCA huddle at Citrus Springs Middle School. There was a young lady who was, who was co-leading this group. And she was doing an incredible job. She would stand up, and she would pray, and she would, she would invite other kids. And, and our huddle at that school at the time was 300 kids, and the whole school population, 800. And most of it had to do with the fact that her and her friends got to change their life, and now they're being active in reaching their campus. This is before school. When she was in leadership, our Christmas party had over 500 students in it. But one thing I noticed about this young lady is I never saw her at church. I never heard her talk about her church. And so just one day in conversation, I went to her and I said, you know, um, I'm just wondering, where do you go to church? I said, I would love, if you don't have a church, I would love for you to come and be a part of our youth ministry. And she goes, oh, no, this is my church. I said, Wait, well, she goes, no, 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 this is my church. I said, why do you say it that way? She goes, Because my moms won't allow me to go to a church. And then she said this. Because they're both into witchcraft. And I'm the only believer in the house. I'm just going to tell you. The next Thursday, I was out of bed early. (laughs) I'm going, God, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep investing in these lives because you have no idea who you're ministering to. You have no idea what kind of door God is going to open to you. And listen to me. Stop closing the door on ministry and show consistency, people of God. Show up again and again and again and again Until someone asks you questions. Write this down. Consistency invites questioning. That's what it did. Jesus shows up again. Who gave you that authority? Don't be afraid of that moment. You're like, yes, they're finally talking to me. Most of us think of our of our of our you know us trying to reach people and we're like man oh I got to figure out some way to start a conversation and most of you are terrible at it I mean we're just not really good in our society at being friendly Here's how I know If I could just read your minds for a moment. You come in on a Sunday morning and you sit down and you think to yourself, Man, this church, it's not very friendly because no one's coming up and talking to me. And the thought never occurs to you to get your feet moving toward the people around you going, Hi, I don't know your name. You never thought for one moment that you might. Need to be friendly. You might need to show up on your row. You might need to consistently go and talk to people. You're like, I'm not on the host team. I don't need you on the host team. I need you in the family. And consistency invites questioning. Questioning. When you keep showing up in people's lives, they'll start asking you questions. What in the world? Why are you here? Why do you care? And really, if there is a, a word that we could wrap around today's dream, it would be this second practical step to live the dream, and it's that we need to show compassion. We need to show Compassion. Remember what Jesus did here in verses 6 through 7. This is so beautiful. It says, then they said, the Pharisees, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear So when they continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin among you Let him throw a stone at her first and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground Notice what he did notice what jesus did It says He stooped down We find out later in the passage the woman is standing in the midst, but Jesus stooped down, and he got low in her moment of need, and I love what he did, right? He starts writing in the dirt. What was he writing? The names of all the concubines the Pharisees go and visit. I'm just kidding. I don't know what I was writing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was writing. That's what I, I hope, hope he was writing. <laughs> but he stooped down. He got low. He got into the dirt she was in the word compassion means this with suffering he got alongside the suffering that's a little different than a political argument isn't it he got down in the dirt And I want to tell you, if you feel trapped here or you don't know if God will do something in your life, I'm telling you today, we have a Jesus who will get down in your dirt. And then I love what he does. It says, and then he stood up. Did he talk to her? No. He talked to her accusers. He talked to her accusers. And said, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. You know what this is, a, this is telling us to do? That we need to get down in people's dirt. And when we stand up, we stand up in intercession. And we deal with the voice of accusation that is trying to rail against a generation. Listen. Listen. Listen, you want to know why the suicidality rate of this grouping of people is so high? It is because Satan's voice can only lead to suicide and death. What was the voice of those those religious people in that hour? Moses says, hit her with a stone, kill her. The voice of Satan always leads to death. If we, ha, ha, how many of you could say, man, I, I remember listening to the voice of Satan and I was, I was headed toward death, but I am thankful that Jesus came and got in my dirt. He came and got in my dirt. And then he stood up in intercession for me. Notice what she did remain silent. Church, we need a people who will get in the dirt where people are suffering, but also will stand up for them in the place of prayer and say, Satan, you stop speaking death over them. You stop speaking confusion over them. I'm crying out in this moment, and I'm going to intercede on the behalf of the hurting, on behalf of those who are caught in sin. And then I love what he does. When he's done with that moment of intercession, he's back in the dirt. Church, I fear we've forgotten how to get into the dirt. I fear that some of us have forgotten the dirt from which we were pulled. He came alongside. Or suffering. You should write this down. Compassion opens the door to mercy. Now, what I'm about to say to you next is probably one of the, the most revelatory things concerning a people or a region who end up in sexual sin. It's one of the most revelatory things that when it comes to the area of sexual sins of all kinds, by the way, including this one, you know, there's, a, there's a, a tendency in the church to say things like, you know, that community is going to end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because that is a story of a place where men were trying to rape angels who did not even consider the raping of women satisfactory, but they wanted to rape these quote-unquote men being held in the house of Lot. But what if I were to tell you That Sodom's problem was not sexual deviance. I want you to look with me at Ezekiel 16. It's verse 49. This is a moment where God is speaking to Jerusalem and saying, Listen, Jerusalem, you have really messed up. You have left me. You have left me and... You think you're better than some of these other cities. And then God peels back the page and tells us something really revelatory about Sodom. Ezekiel sixteen forty nine. it says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, And unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and the needy. If you read the next verse, you find out that that actually led to the next step. What does it say? They were prideful, they went to the buffet after second service. Guys, overfed. And what? Unconcerned. They lacked compassion. And because of pride and being overfed and lacking compassion, it led to sexual deviance, it led to flesh flourishing. I think God, in one verse, tells us how we're supposed to bring the antidote to a to a uh, to a people and a society that is crumbling under under in every way. That's saying, listen, uh, the nuclear family needs to go away, and you know you can just be with whomever. No, no, no. The answer isn't arguing for the ideas. The answer is to give compassion. This is the reason judgment came. Could it be, church, that because we have taken that Old Testament mentality and said, no, 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 these people, they're just lepers, and we have been unconcerned, that God is saying, no, no, that's why Things are falling apart. I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us, it is time that we show compassion. Listen, compassion is the seed we sow to welcome the mercy of God. Now, let me give you the follow-up to that. Show up, yes. Show consistency, yes. Show compassion, yes. But then you show clarity. By the way, there is no clarity in life apart from the revealed will of God. What did Jesus say to her? He, it says, and Jesus straightened up. These are the first words he says to her. He says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, sir. And then he says, Neither do I condemn you. Listen to this. Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice what, what, what Jesus, the face of grace, does in this moment. First, grace silences the accusation. They're no longer there. Grace silences the accusation. Grace then shows the way. He's saying there's a way out of this. He says, go where? Now. Go. Go. Leave this. By the way, you should know this. This whole scene is a setup. John 8 is a complete setup. Here's how you know. Where's the guy? She was caught in the very act. Last time I checked, where's he? He wasn't part of the plan. And so Jesus comes and silences the accusers, and then what does he does? He shows the way. And by the way, these principles work for any area of your life. If you're caught in any sin, you're caught in any kind of brokenness, any kind of of something that Satan has sowed, either through the flesh or through your history, Jesus is saying, go now. He says, there's a way out. There's an open door. That's what grace gives us, an open door. But where does it lead us? Does it just simply lead us? To acceptance? No. It says grace enables all change. He said, go and leave your life of sin. We have to be clear. There's really a group of people in the church that says, no, 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 you don't want to ever, you know, you don't want to ever confront, you know, just just kind of always be there. But yet, Jesus, in this moment, in a moment where he shows us how to show up again and again, he shows us how to have compassion, he shows us how to intercede, he shows us that what is needed in that moment when grace shows up is clarity. Listen, no one has an encounter with God apart from his word. They don't just have an encounter because you're nice. Why don't you be kind and give them clarity? By the way, 1 Corinthians 6 kind of gives us some real clarity and maybe, maybe all of us need to review this list because this tends to be that, that list that we kind of aim at people who are struggling in a certain area with their sexuality. But oh my word, the deception that that the enemy brings he says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither fornicators That I means stop sleeping around with the opposite sex nor idolaters don't worship anything but God nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor sodomites nor thieves nor covetous. If you're driving around Citrus Hills wishing you had their house, you're on the list. If you were up till 3 a.m. on Zillow, because you think. Your value is determined by what you possess, covetous. You're on the list. Wait, wait, I I thought this was about LGBTQ. The list. (laughs) Nor drunkards. uh Uh-oh. Same list. Nor revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to me. They don't inherit the kingdom of God if they die in that condition. None of them. None of them. And listen carefully. Because this is what grace does. This is what Jesus does. And such were some of you. Oh, this is so good. But you were washed. You were cleansed, sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you were justified, it was just as if you had never sinned. That's what Jesus does. God doesn't give us grace to keep us the way we are. I'm going to let everybody here know Christianity is the theater of change. Why? Because the grace of God in Christ brings us all into the new creation. All of us. I really want to encourage People to never be afraid to share what God has declared to be sin why because there's no fear when you're walking in love and Jesus is loving people out of darkness into life that's what he's doing right now and I depending on your Bible and your translation This next verse could be either included in this passage or excluded. Mine is the New King James Version, which is straight from God's mouth to the page. I've said that over and over again. And and it's included in this moment. which leads us to the last point. If you really want to help people, show people to Christ. You know, people don't really get saved because you're their friend. Last time I checked, none of us could lead anybody. Like, it, nobody's going to heaven because of you. You may be that one, that vessel God uses. You speak, you reach, you love, you pray. Yeah, yeah. But no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws them. And Jesus in this moment, I love what it says here. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again. Who are are the them? Remember, he's in the temple courts. All these people have showed up. And the only people that left were the accusers. And it's in this moment, he tells the woman, go and leave your life of sin. And now he goes from the the personal message to the message that needs to be proclaimed to all. He says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. What's he referring to? The darkness she had been walking in now that the grace of God is calling her out of. He said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We have got to keep our ministry Christ-focused. And there may be moments where people say, you know what? I've been hurt by the church. Yep, yep. That's probably true. But you weren't hurt by Christ. I, I I heard this, and I heard this, yeah, but what did Christ say? This is who I feel. I feel like I was born that way, but Jesus says you can be born again. He'll give you a new heart, and a new life, and new desires. That's what our God does. You know, in that dream, I noticed something. It was, was my commitment to reaching a young generation that opened a door into the lives of these women. And I want to tell you, church, as long as you're Interested in reaching the next generation We will live in the moment where God turns the hearts of the children to the fathers and the mothers and everything that they're bound up in Every kind of brokenness is going to be right there And some of you are maybe maybe looking today and wondering are you are you saying people can really be set free of those lifestyles? Yes everything in the list which is everything but what do we as the church need to do we need to show up we need to show consistency we need to show compassion we need to show clarity And we got to show people